They say that one of the keys to success is timing, and I think that's true. Many years ago, at the very dawn of the computer era, I worked at a computer store, and we sold the world's first truly portable computer, the Osborne One, which most of you have probably never heard of. It was a portable computer in the same sense that if you took a stack of six cinder blocks and tied a handle to them, you'd had portable cinder blocks. Well, when Osborne announced their second big computer, the Osborne Executive, my manager and I went to New York for the big product announcement. And the new computer was bigger and better than its predecessor. It had better software, and it was only about 100 bucks more. But the problem was that Osborne had single-sourced one of the critical parts for that new system. And when those parts were delayed, they couldn't make any of the new computers. And with a hot new computer in the pipeline, no one, and I mean no one, wanted to buy the older system. Within two months, what was then the largest, most successful personal computer company in the world was out of business. Their timing had been exactly wrong. And it's now like a business school case study for how not to manage the growth of your business. Sometimes the right timing means acting boldly before somebody else does. And other times the right timing means waiting and watching until all the pieces are in place. But knowing the difference requires wisdom and sometimes trust. For several of these disciples of Jesus, fishing was their livelihood. They knew what they were doing. And yet, sometimes, the nets still came up empty. That's the nature of fishing. In today's gospel story, they've basically given up. They're back on shore cleaning their nets. But when Jesus asked them to give it one more try, they put the nets down again. And because the timing was, was right, because Jesus was there with them, they were successful beyond their wildest dreams. Now, they could have reacted to his request with some arrogance and explained to this carpenter that they were the fishermen and knew what they were doing. Or they could have reacted with cynicism and said, the fish are just not out there. Instead, they decided to take a chance and trust, and the fish were there. And Peter's reaction to all of this is one of humility and fear. He says, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He knows that this huge catch isn't his own doing. And he probably also knows that when the timing is right and the trust is there and the fish come in, there are bound to be consequences. God doesn't pile on the fish without asking something in return, or at least that's what he's thinking, and he doesn't feel worthy. And he's right. Jesus does ask him something in return, and he isn't worthy. But God calls nonetheless, and he answers. From now on, it is people you will catch. And Peter, like the other disciples, and like us, will have a mission to accomplish. Those first disciples, when they received this call, probably would have liked the timing to be a little different. Maybe the big catch could have come in before they spent the whole night fishing. 
and the whole morning cleaning their nets. But it happens in God's time. It's also pretty common for people to fear failure. No one really wants to fail and to have to face disappointment, shame, or a ruined reputation. But it's also not uncommon for people to fear success. When a plan or a project succeeds beyond your wildest dreams, there is the likelihood that your life will change. People will have new heightened expectations of you. They'll expect you to do it again and to top your success with something even better. Ask yourself how many movie sequels were really better than the first film. I mean, I'm going to allow Godfather Part Two or Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, but nobody really remembers Teen Wolf 2 or The Sting 2. It doesn't usually work that way. But Jesus does indeed have big plans for Peter and his companions. So it's understandable that Peter is fearful after the big catch because his life would never be the same after this. Fortunately, Jesus isn't just sitting back cynically waiting for Peter's next failure, although there would be plenty of those. Instead, he says, you're coming with me. This call to discipleship is also a call to companionship. Now, this is probably a good place for me to mention that I spent three years not too long ago serving as the Paulus Father's Director of Vocations. In that assignment, I had the privilege of helping dozens of men discern whether and where God might be calling them to priesthood as their particular discipleship and mission. Now, you may imagine that a place like RPI isn't a natural place for God to call people to priesthood and religious life. But I can tell you that in my novice class with the Paulus Fathers many years ago, we had an architectural engineer. We also had a ceramic scientist engineer. I know four Paulists who have degrees in computer science, including a PhD from MIT in artificial intelligence. I know another Paulist who has a PhD in genetics. And today our seminarians include an MD and a PhD in cancer biology. Jesus called fishermen, tax collectors, and political activists to be his apostles. And I can assure you that today he is calling engineers and scientists. If you think that might be you, maybe we should talk. I can help you sort that out. But the bottom line is that God has a mission and a purpose for each of us. And that mission is revealed according to God's own timing, sometimes despite our fears and our feeling unworthy. But our ultimate success in life comes from being attentive to that invitation to discipleship and responding with humility and an open heart when God's purpose is revealed to us.